from Psalm 118, verse 22. I'd like for you to turn to that, and we'll read verses 22 through 24. Psalm 118, beginning verse 22. We'll read through 24. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What time is it? I notice that some of you have you know, checked your watch. What I'm asking really is what time it is for you personally. There's some of us who have never changed the calendar from yesterday. And so we live in the glories of the past, those past accomplishments. And some of us live in the guilt of the past, never, be, never able to get beyond those things that we have done, we've regretted. And some of us have never changed our calendars from tomorrow. And so we live in the dreams of tomorrow. And some of us live in the dread of tomorrow. What might happen, what could happen. Thomas Carlyle, the genius, could not write except in total silence. And so he built a, a room he thought was soundproof. But he could still hear his neighbor's rooster crow. And he just couldn't write because his rooster, the neighbor's rooster crowed. And so he went to his neighbor and he said, you've got to do something about that rooster crowing. I can't write, I can't study. And the neighbor said, well, my rooster doesn't crow but about, you know, once a day, just a couple of times. Thomas Carlyle said, yes, but waiting for that rooster to crow nearly drives me crazy. So we wait for the bad to happen, nearly drives us crazy. What time is it? The God who is beyond time has given us time as a solemn stewardship. For time is a sacred trust that is hallowed by the redemptive death of Jesus on the cross. And there's no better place to begin a series of sermons on stewardship than a, a sermon on the stewardship of time. For life is equated with, by time. My life is measured in concepts of time. And I know that I cannot really give my life to God until I've given Him my time. And I know that I cannot please God until I please Him with my time. And I know that when I have really given my time to the Lord, I have given my life to Him because He must be the Lord of time. And over and over again I've seen this happen. I've seen people rededicate their life to Christ, make commitments of their life to God, and they're going to serve Him. And they really mean to do that, and they really want to but they never seem to be able to do what they promised God they would do. What is it that the devil uses to trip us up? Well, I'm convinced it's because that over a period of time, over the years, we have these schedules and these habits that are fixed and we have our time planned and our time schedules are crowded. And so we commit our life to the Lord. But there's no change in our time scheduling. And so there's no real time to work out what we know, what we feel within us. So that in order for there to really be the working out of a commitment to God, there must first of all be the rescheduling of our time. 
For you see, sometimes when, when life seems out of order, it's because our time is out of order. And no place is there a better place to begin a sermon on the stewardship of time than with this little text, this verse that we quote often, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. tells us something about this day. First of all, it tells us that this is a provided day. Where did this day come from? If God has given me this increment of time called today, where did it come from? Where did I get this? Well, it was prepared and planned and provided by God. It came straight from the hand of the Creator. It is as if the psalmist was saying, why God woke you up this morning and said, okay, here's the day I've made for you. Here's the 24 hours I've prepared for you. Now how are you going to live this day? And the time that He has given us in this day, planned and prepared for us, cannot be borrowed and it cannot be hoarded. The only thing you can do with this time is to trade it. Now you can trade it for some, you can trade up, you can trade for something that's worthwhile and eternal and useful. You can trade down for something that's, that's useless and wasteful. What are you going to do with the time that God has given you called today, this provided day? As a matter of fact, we've been in this auditorium now for worship about 45 minutes. What have you done? How have you traded this 45 minutes of time? Have you passed notes down to your neighbor? Have you been daydreaming about what you're going to do tomorrow when you go to work or school? Have you been thinking about lunch and how you're going, what you're going to do when you get out of here? What have you done with this 45 minutes that God has placed at your disposal? And you understand that when this time is gone, you will never have it again. In the time that we've spent in this place this morning, this time will never be ours again. It's like standing on the bank of a great river and watching as the current takes the, the bubbles and the leaves downstream, once within our grass, now lost and gone forever. Shakespeare said, I have wasted time, now it doth waste me. No wonder Paul said, be careful how you live. Take advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's a provided day. The second thing the text says about this day is that it is a present day. This is the day, and there's only one, and that's today. There is only one day, and that's today. And the people who have learned to live life successfully are the people who have learned to live in the today of life. Only those live who live today. Now watch this. If you learn to live in the todays of your life, the past will be pleasant and the future will be bright. I believe that in the throne room of God there is one gigantic calendar and on that calendar is one word, today. And I believe in the council room of God there is one clock and that clock ticks now, 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 now. For God is the God of the now. Now, do you know what that means if you learn to live today? You know what that does to the past? It eliminates the guilt of it. Bertha Smith said, God buried our sin in the deepest ocean and posted a no-fishing sign there. If you live today, do you know what that does to tomorrow? It eliminates the worry from it. Somebody said that worry does not take the strength, take the sorrow for tomorrow. 
It just takes the strength from today. We look at today and think we know what's best for tomorrow. God sees tomorrow and knows what's best for today. A lady wrote Ann Landers a letter filled with despair. She was, she was really down. She felt like she had wasted life. And she said, you know, she was nothing. Her life was not really of any value. And she finished her letter with this statement. She said, I am 36 years old and I have never been to college. And Ann Landers wrote back an answer, one sentence answer. It was this, how old would you be if you had gone to college? Now the answer, what she, the point she was making was this, that what really matters is now. What really matters, the thing that matters the most is not yesterday or tomorrow. The thing that matters is today. This is a present day. Third, this is a precious day. This is the day the Lord has made. And, 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 and it's precious because it's from Him. It's His day. He made it. It's a precious day. And you see, the stewardship of time involves not only knowing how to choose between the good and the bad. The stewardship of time is knowing how to choose between the good and the best. David Brainerd was 29 years old when he died. He made this statement. Oh, how precious time is and how guilty it makes me feel when I think I have trifled away or misimproved it or have failed to fill up every part of it with a duty commensurate with my capacity and ability. Now, David Brainerd was a man who literally gave his life in the 18th century to the evangelization of the American Indian, and he literally spent nights all night long on his knees in the snow praying for the salvation of the American Indian and he was feeling guilty about how he had wasted time. Well, write something, you know, there. But don't pass it down to your neighbor. <clears throat> First principle. We have time to do the things that are important to us. We have a time to do the things that are important to us. What time do you eat dinner? What time do you go to work? What time do you open your business? What time do you watch the national news? What time do you go to bed? If you can answer a time to one of those questions, then you do have a time to do the things that are important to you. It is a fact that what is important to us we're going to have a time to accomplish. We have time to do the things that are important to us. Second principle. We practice daily what we really believe. All the rest is religious talk, religious verbiage. Now watch this. If you say that you believe in prayer, that God answers prayer, and that, if, that prayer effects change, if you say that, but you don't practice prayer, you don't pray, you don't really believe it. It's just religious talk. If you really believe in prayer, you're going to pray. If you say, I want what's best for my family and I love them and I want to give them the best kind of life they can have and you don't give them quantity and quality time, then that's just religious talk. For you see, the best measurement of your belief is your time schedule. I want you to get that. 
You ask a person, what do you really believe? Don't get your notebook and try to find out what he believes, get, get, his, get his theological conviction. Don't do that. If you ask somebody what he really believes, you ask him for his time schedule. For what he really believes is what he's going to schedule time to accomplish. All the rest is malarkey. And a person who says, I believe in God, I believe in prayer, and has no time for God, no time for prayer, he's just spouting off, it's just baloney. Third principle. There is enough time to do everything God wants you to do. You see, God is not as unreasonable to you as you are to yourself. Do you have enough time to do what you want to do? The lament I hear all the time is, I just don't have a time to do everything I want to do. You're harder on yourself than God is. You don't have time to do what everybody else wants you to do. If you were to live off of their agenda and you were not able to say no, the people who are not able to say no are driven people and they're burned out and they're soured on life because you're not going to be able to do everything everybody wants you to do. And so you might as well quit trying to live off their agenda. They're unreasonable. I've learned that in the pastorate. But God is not that unreasonable. What God wants you to do, He guarantees that you have time to do that. Now, you know what you should do and I should do every morning? We should get up every morning and find out what God wants us to do today and how He wants us to do it, and it frees us to live successfully in life because God gives enough time to do everything He wants us to do. Fourth principle, before I can be a good steward of time, I've got, I must have a purpose or goal in life. Now, my purpose or my goal in life will determine my priorities. Watch this. That's a basic principle. If I have a purpose and a goal established, my purpose and goal will determine my priorities. Now, if I want to look like Mr. America, you can tell that's not been my number one goal. If I want to like, look like Mr. Universe, Mr. Muscle... My, the priority of my time would be directed to the building up of my muscles. See? If I want to be the richest person in Durant, the priority of my time will be established on how I can be the richest person in town. But what if my goal is to love God with all my heart and soul and strength and mind and my neighbor as myself? That's my goal. Then my priorities will be determined by that goal. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, how does that relate to your family? Well, if I'm loving God with all my heart and soul and I'm loving God, one day he might say to me, Gerald, I want you to love your wife like this. That's why everywhere in the New Testament it says that we're to love our wives, that we're to be submissive to our husbands as unto the Lord. It means that I make as my objective, my priority, my goal in life that I might love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, my neighbor as myself. And therefore my priorities are established on the basis of that goal. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Amen. I've got one. Wish I was preaching in a black church. Fifth principle. Learn to distinguish between the essentials and the electives. Learn to distinguish between the essentials and the electives. Now, this is the essential. The essentials have to do with your goal or your purpose or your, or your aim in life. The, the, the essentials have to do, watch, with the will of God. The electives have to do with the good things but not the best. 
Now, the problem with some of us is that we've not been able to distinguish between what is essential and what is elective. Essential things are the things that God's will demands of us, and the electives are the things that are good, but they're just not the best. And the stewardship of time involves the daily dying to the good in order that we might receive the best. I love it. Stewardship means that daily I die to these good things in order that I might receive the best things. And you can't have all of them in one 24-hour increment of time. Final principle in point three is this. You need to be able to identify yourself in a group, in, a, in what type of person you are. For example, there are feelers. The feelers are those who operate on the basis of feeling, how they feel, their emotion. There are the figurers. The figurers are the ones who have to have everything figured out and everything's analytical and everything's rationalized. And there are the faithers. Now, the faithers are those who operate on the basis of the will of God and my will to do His will. Now watch this. A faither is a person who does what he knows he should do whether or not he feels like it or understands it. Write that down. A faither is a person who does what he knows he should do whether or not he feels like it or understands it. Now, the problem with the feelers is that we don't always feel the same. Our moods change like the weather. And the problem with the figures is that we don't have all the figures. There are some situations about which we do not have all the facts. But a faither knows the will of God. He has his word and the communication of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. So he says, this is God's will. This is what God wants. So this is what I want. Now, which one are you? Do you just do what you know you should do when you feel like it? Or do you, do you have to have a rational reason for this or that? Or do you just know that this is God's will and I'm going to do it? I don't understand it. And I don't feel like it. But this is God's will, so I'm going to will His will. Oh, what a release that gives to life. All right? Fourth thing about this day. It is a providential day. A providential day. Now what that means is this, that, that whatever happens to me today is be, has to pass through the hand of God to get to me. Now that's why the psalmist said, let us rejoice and be glad. What he's saying is this, that, that if I really believe that this day is under God's control and whatever happens is providential... That is, everything that happens to me passes first through His fingers to get to me, and He is good, and He wills only my good, then I can rejoice with whatever happens because I know that it's come as the result of God's love for me. It may not be pleasant, but it's what's best for me, see. You see, there's a difference between burning the wick and burning the oil. Do you remember when you... You remember the, those kerosene lamps? Some of you old enough to remember those. I don't remember those. But some of you, yeah. Well, well maybe, maybe you can remember these uh, Coleman lanterns. And they got a wick there, and, and, and that wick goes down into a little basin of oil, fuel. 
And that wick just burns and burns and is never consumed. Well, the reason why is that wick never, it's, the wick's not burning. It's the oil in the wick that burns. And you let that basin run dry of oil and that wick will just be burned just like that. Now, the problem with many of us is that we're burning the wick and not the oil. Now, watch what I'm trying to say. We go rushing through life with the resources that are available to us as a human being. And it doesn't take long to get burned out and bored and soured. But if you go through life fueled by the resources that are available to Him as God, then the life every day burns and there's always this dynamic enthusiasm and energy because you're drawing from Him, see. You're drawing from the precious oil of the Holy Spirit. You're drawing from the resources not available to you as a human, but the resources that are available to Him as divine. It's a providential day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. I'm living on Him. One thing I asked about this day. It is a passing day. It's a passing day. The poet has it like this. When I was a child, I laughed and wept. Time crept. When as a youth, I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. Later, as older I grew, time flew. Soon, while traveling on, I shall find time gone. It's a passing day. Job says, my life is like the swiftness of a runner. He said, my life flies like the, with the speed of a weaver's shuttle. He said, my life glides like ships on the ocean. Like my days, he said, are like the swooping of an eagle. I love it. James said, your life is like a vapor. It's like a puff of smoke. It's gone. The psalmist said, so number our days. When you line it all up, it's just a matter of days. It's gone. This is a passing day. Death is certain. Now, death is certain, but the time of death is not. And that means that everybody in this room today lives one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat away from eternity. One speeding car through a stop sign from eternity. One heartbeat away from the end. Now, that's not a very pleasant fact. But it is a fact. And some people like to, you know, they want to avoid thinking about reality of facts. But if you avoid factual truth, it means that you are living in a world of unreality. And if you live in the world of unreality, you live in a dream world. And some people live in a dream world. They think, I'm going to live forever. I'm always going to have time to do this. I'm always going to be able to do this. That's a dream. That's a fantasy. Your life is fleeting by like the speed of a weaver shuttle. It's like the swoop of an eagle. It's like, the, it's like a puff of smoke. It's gone. If you don't believe that, you underscore it today. You go home and you start writing down. This is a little healthy little exercise. You write down the names of the people who've died who are younger than you are today. 
died at a younger age than you are today. If you want to underscore that, you go, you spend a good little, have this little experiment. You, you take the Daily Oklahoman or the Dallas Morning News or the Durant Daily Democrat and you look at the obituary column. I do it all the time and underline the names of the people who have died whose age is younger than your age right now. That'll set you back. Redding has a book called Jesus Makes Me Laugh. And in this book, he tells about a man named Ray Kelly. Ray Kelly and his wife are sitting out in the waiting room of the hospital clinic waiting for the report from their doctor. When he came out, he said to Ray Kelly, you have a terminal disease and you'll be dead in six months. Now, what I'm about to tell you about this event may be offensive to some of you. I hope it isn't offensive. But what they did might be a little offensive. What they did was, when they got home, they prayed, now what are we going to do about this? And they decided they would have a cancer party. Now, that may be offensive to some. But they threw a party called a cancer party. And they invited all the people they knew. Some were ill and some were not. And they announced... Ray Kelly's terminal illness, this party, and they organized what they called the MTC Club. The MTC Club means Make Today Count. And everybody with that party was a charter member of the MTC Club. Now the long and short of, that, of this illustration is that Ray Kelly began to emphasize and so did his club and it spread through all over America Make today count. And, 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 and Ray Kelly got so busy he didn't have time to die. Are you a member of the Make Today Count Club? You better be. Because this is the only one you got. There is a parable that the king called in some jesters to make him laugh. And he was going to find the biggest fool in the kingdom, the one who could make him laugh. And there was one man who won the contest. He was the biggest fool in the kingdom. And so the king put on his head a dunce cap and said, You're the biggest fool in the kingdom, and you must wear this hat until you find someone who is a bigger fool than you. About ten years later, word went out from the king to the jester, come to the king's court. He's dying and he's unhappy and he wants somebody to make him laugh. And so the biggest fool in the kingdom came to the king's chambers with his dunce cap on and the king said, you're the biggest fool, make me laugh. And the jester said, before I make you laugh, may I ask you a question, king? Yes, sir. What have you done to prepare for this day? How are you prepared for this day? And the king said, That's a part of my despair. I am not prepared for this day. I'm not ready to die. And the jester took his cap, his hat, off his head and placed it on the head of the king and said, I have found a bigger fool than I. I have found a man who is not prepared for death. You're a fool if you do not prepare for this passing day, it is a foolish mistake to think that you're going to live forever. It's a fantasy. It's a dream. For these days are 
flashing by, and a man is foolish who doesn't prepare for them. This is the day the Lord has made. Now God has prepared and planned this day for you. And out of His hand, you remember that story you heard when you were kids, never do I hear it preached anymore, never have I preached it. In Belshazzar's banquet hall, Daniel turned, did the people, did Belshazzar, saw the handwriting on the wall, many, many, tekel euphorson, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You remember that? We used to hear that at every revival. Look at the phrase that prefaces that judgment. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. The verse that precedes that is the most important one. It says, the God in whose hand thy breath is, thou hast not glorified. Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. What he was saying is this, that God doles out your life a breath at a time. And if you don't take advantage of that moment that comes, you will never have it again. God has given you this day, this day. Don't be a fool and waste it. There's a decision some of you need to make this morning in this place. It's a decision to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. This is the only day that you have to do that. There are some of you this morning who have vacillated between commitment and, and complacency, between surrender and indifference, and you've made vows to yourself and to others. One of these days I'm going to get that straightened out. This is the only day you have to do it. It's the day you need to rededicate your life to Christ and begin a new life. This is the day some of you need to place your life in the church. When are you going to do that? Well, next week, next year, next month. Today's the only day you have to do that. This is the day. And When it gets by you, you'll never have it again. The stewardship of time involves what you're going to do with the next five minutes of your life. Let's pray together. Father, in the next five minutes of our life, the life of every person here, I pray that we will redeem the time. Because I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, we're going to ask you to stand. You know the invitation. You've heard them over and over again. That's the problem. Stand with me. And as the choir begins to sing, we invite you to come on the first word you come.